The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bonds of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. The Gospel of the Lord. So yes, this has got to be one of the strangest Christmases many of us have ever experienced. I preach right now to an iPhone on a tripod. I know you all are there, which is a great blessing because I could go around to the other side and I could check the participants list and see all the names. And I watched many of you gather this evening 
for the beautiful music that so many have labored to bring to this night. And then I look out and I see an empty nave still torn apart in some ways, although the construction crew started to piece it back together yesterday and cleaned it up beautifully for this service. The organ is still covered. It will be uncovered probably next week. And then we'll see what kind of condition the tuning is in. This has been our year in a nutshell, right? Everything has been kind of torn apart and we find ourselves speaking in strange ways to little boxes and tiny lenses, knowing that the people who love us are on the other side. If I make a little bit of a Christian, a Christmas Christian confession, I should say, this year, it is that when all of this pandemic season began, there was a part of me that thought, we'll never make it. Looking back on it, I feel terrible for thinking that for two reasons. One of them is what kind of faith was I putting in myself but even more importantly, what kind of faith was I putting in you? The extraordinary ways all of you have shown up this year through thick and thin and braved the vagaries of technology and all the hiccups that we've often encountered in our services and our gatherings together, the ways that you have insisted on reaching out to one another and gathering together virtually to see one another and continue the business of God. Well, it reminds me of another time, another time quite a number of years ago now, when I was sitting at my kitchen table and the phone rang and on the other side of it was Steve Quarles, who was senior warden at the time, to tell me that the vestry of Church of Our Savior had called me to become your next rector. Without embarrassing my wife too much, I confess to you this night that I hung up the phone, after accepting, of course, and broke down and cried. And I said to Hiroko, I thought we wouldn't make it. So here we are. Maybe in a way, that's what it felt like to be part of Mary and Joseph's life on that dusty path to Bethlehem. Luke tells the story as though they went there only under compulsion of a legal order. And of course, to add insult to injury, while they're there, Mary goes into labor. And because everyone else is there for the same reason they are there, there is no room for them at the inn. You've got to start to wonder if maybe it went through Mary's mind, and I'm sure it went through Joseph's. We're not going to make it. When Luke puts the Christmas story as we have it now to paper, 
we have to remember that what Luke is writing is not just a history or a biography. If it were that easy, it might have sat somewhere as a dusty scroll for centuries and perhaps have been discovered at some point by a scholar who would have been fascinated by this little piece of first century literature. No, what Luke is doing is much more radical than simply writing a biography or a history. What Luke is doing is writing a counter history. What I mean by that is Luke is turning the whole world upside down with these words and this story. And no matter who you are, whether you are someone high up in the Roman government of the time, or whether you are an important person sitting as part of the council of elders in Jerusalem, or whether you are some power broker reading this or hearing it for the first time centuries later, Luke wants all of us to understand that the whole way we think about the world and the way we think about history and the way we think about how we relate to our God needs to be completely upended and turned upside down. That little voice in the back of my head that thought we wouldn't make it through this year is the same voice that has told Christian communities and Christians the world over for centuries, literally thousands of years now, that you won't make it. You're no better than the rest of us. You're subject to everything that the world is subject to, death, decay, oppression, empire, military might, monetary muscle. Those who take power are the ones who win. And the rest of us had better get ready to lose. But you see, this night, this holy night, this night when we are scattered and yet by a grace of technology, we are miraculously gathered. We are reminded by Luke two millennia ago that ours is a God who does not act like the powers of this world. This is the counter history. Think about the history you were taught in school. The bulk of it, much of it, is about the winners, the people who were left around and had the time and the money and the resources to do the research and to write about what happened. That's history as the world understands it.
Luke's counter-history is the world as God understands it. Luke is positing for anyone who has ears to hear and hearts to listen that the divine history is always unfolding in our midst and it begins not with the powerful doing mighty deeds, striding across the lands with their armies. It doesn't begin in the fineries of a palace or a beautiful mansion somewhere. It doesn't, yes, we have to admit it, begin in a beautiful place of worship. It begins in a manger on the dusty edge of a small town that history all but forgot. It begins with a Galilean peasant who bears a child conceived in scandal. It begins with her betrothed being able to do nothing more than to stand by and watch. It begins, Luke tells us, with shepherds in the region somewhere, because why would we want to know where we don't care about them? Being visited by none other than angels. The truth of the season that we hope now to see the end of soon, this season of pandemic, is that we are being taught by this counter history. Paul's letter to Titus, which Kitty just read a few minutes ago, talks about our training. I'd never heard that word in that reading till tonight, and I've heard it many times over many Christmases. We are being trained, if you like, by this counter history. It's that aha moment somewhere in our heads when we realize that Christians have been enduring pandemics and plagues for centuries. Christian community has stood all kinds of tests and trials that far exceed what we're facing even now. And that is not at all to minimize the suffering that goes on around us or the hard places of our hearts this night in the midst of the darkness. It is to say instead that we have always been a people of hope that same hope that kept Joseph and Mary going when it felt like it was the end, when they had no idea what they were going to do, and Mary was in labor. That same miraculous hope that brought shepherds to them of all people, not just strangers, but smelly folk. It would be like the homeless coming and knocking on our door and not coming for a handout, but actually saying to us, we have spoken to the angels of God and they told us to come to you. How would we react if that happened to us today or tomorrow? 
the counter history that trains us to be better than we can imagine. The letter to Titus talks about us learning to have zeal for good things, for goodness, to search in earnest, to do incredible, miraculous things alongside our God, to be trained not in the work of power that this world knows so well, heaven forbid be trained in the work of oppression, but to be trained in the divine work of compassion and mercy, to look for God's presence in small things and in the places where we think we won't make it. That is the good news that Jesus' birth foretells for us, for all who are down and out, for all who are struggling this night, and above all, for those who look, who look forward with hope. listening to the sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior in Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at Our Savior Mill Valley. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.